Hello, this is Michael Wiley, and I'm sitting in for Pam Stack today on Authors on the Air. And my guest is Reed Farrell Coleman with his brand new book, this terrific book, Sleepless City. Thanks for joining, Reed. Thanks for doing this, Mike. I mean, yeah. you're not half as pretty as Pam, but, you know, I guess you'll do. <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes wear wigs, but, you know, not you know, mostly only around the house. You know, um, again, I, I, I've read I've read this new book and and I'm blown away by it. It's, it's you know it's such a wonderful book and really in many ways it represents a departure for you, but it's also very recognizably your voice. People who love your books already are going to to really really love this one. You've written you've written more than thirty novels now. The protagonist of this of this story is Nick Ryan, and including Nick, you have five major protagonists. Uh, what's what's different about Nick Ryan? You know, what, what is it that makes him new and fresh in Sleepless City? You know, that's a good question. And the answer is not very complicated. The answer is simply that most of my other protagonists, um, Dylan Klein, Mo Prager, uh, Gus Murphy, uh, to some extent, Gulliver Dowd, um, and to, even to some extent, Jesse Stone, um, they were to one level or another, competent or incompetent at kind of being a private eye or doing their jobs. Uh, and my two most popular uh, protagonists, Mo Prager and Gus Murphy, uh, were, let's face it, stumblers, what I like to think of as stumblers. Um, they were uniform cops. They were very good in, in the uniform, in driving around in cruisers, making arrests, being first on the scene, but they weren't detectives. And then when, uh, after they'd retired or were fired um, or put out the pasture, when circumstance called for them to act as detectives, they were constantly stumbling about. They were always in above their heads, and a victory from them for them was treading water. Uh, where on the flip side, Nick Ryan is the first kind of uber competent uh, protagonist I've ever written. Um, he's a man seemingly with just incredible amounts of talent, incredible amounts of skill at his job. Um, as, as is stated early on in the book, uh, there's the hurricane and there's the eye of the hurricane and Nick is always in the eye. And so he's a guy who, when he approaches the things he has to approach, he is not wandering around with a blindfold in the dark. He knows what he's doing and he knows how to do it. So that was an interesting thing because as you know, Mike, when you write these kinds of protagonists, it's their foibles and their incompetencies and their vulnerabilities that kind of make them interesting. And so here I'm writing a character who's not necessarily like that. And that was a, that was, I wouldn't say it was a struggle, but it was a challenge to do that. Yeah, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. You know, you know, in some ways, as you are already suggesting, you know, he, he's recognizable both within, say, crime writing, crime fiction, and, and, and in relationship to your own work. 
you know, some of the tags that 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 you're attaching to him and that make a lot of sense is that, you know, he's a guy who's, you know, has conflicted loyalties, um, you know, this divided soul. He's fighting his private war with his his private code. You know, th these are features that that we recognize. But then you're you're giving us somebody who has a kind of a competence, you know, for all of those, for all of those both limitations and strengths. You know, do you see um do you see him as being an important kind of a, a character to have at this moment? You know, and I'm thinking this moment, both in relationship to other crime fiction that that's out there, uh, but also just, you know, kind of where, where, where we are, you know, at this moment, historically, I'm not getting political. I'm not getting, you know, into the, these kinds of discussions, but is there a reason why a figure like Nick Ryan, you know, again, I, I think as especially of those divided loyalties at, at a moment, in which we're seeing a lot of division internally and kind of nationally and every other way, you know, is, is there a reason why this character is important for now? You know, what motivates you to write? As, as you know, Mike, uh, because you were there and witnessed it during the pandemic, the, this book changed. This book changed because of George Floyd. This book changed because of those things. Um, um, and for the better. So Nick, would have been a very, the same character, but the situations I put him in changed because um, of what happened in the world. Uh, I, I, I think people who pretend that we can ignore the real world in our writing, I mean, sometimes we can, if you write historicals, you can ignore it. Uh, I've written books that were set 30 years ago. So even though that I per se isn't an historical, uh, I can ignore what's going on today. Um, but while I didn't put on, you know, Nick in a situation where people were wearing masks or the pandemic was going on, I did think it was important to address, because he's a cop, right? So I wasn't going to ignore what was going on in the world. And, and as I wrote in a, recently in another interview, whether you're a defund the policer, whether you believe in defunding the police, or whether you ride around with a Blue Lives Matter bumper sticker, I don't think anybody wants us to get rid of the police. So, so the idea was, okay, let me put Nick in a situation where none of us would want to be in. Now you've read the book and you know the situation I put him in. Sure. Is almost impossible to deal with. Yeah, I, and, and I'm going to emphasize for anybody listening who hasn't read the book yet, um, it's situations, plural, you know, because because he faces ongoing, you know, as, as we love in our fiction, increasingly high stakes kinds of situations. But go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no problem. And, and it's the first, it's his first job. It's the first situation in his new gig he has to face. And, um, and it's almost impossible uh, because any decision he makes, however he copes with it, there will be people who would say, thank goodness for what you did and people who will resent him for what he did. So, the average citizen will never know what he did. Yeah. Um, but that you talk about conflicted, it conflict, the conf conflict is mostly in him because he recognizes that what he has to do is 
something that will make a lot of people, if they ever knew it, very unhappy and including himself. Right. Yeah, you, you, you handle that. You handle that really, really beautifully. And, and one of the ways that that you handle it is, you know, th this does not come across in any way as an ideologically bound book. You know, you, you, you're, you have a guy who's navigating the, the world in which we live, right? You know, he, he's navigating exactly those situations where we know that there are bad situations, situations that have to be dealt with one way or another, one way or another. And, and he, he takes those on. Now, that, that's a role that I think we, we have seen historically sometimes um, handled by somebody who is not, say, a cop. Um, and it's most often it's going to be in in the hands of, say, a private investigator. Now, you, of course, are, you know, the winner, the four-time winner of Best Novel, Seamus Award. Um, you're somebody with with a deep, deep roots in, in private investigative writing. Um, and here you've taken, of course, um, you've taken that, you know, that, and you've shifted into somebody who is tied in more deeply into institutional kinds of of policing. Uh, that said, you know, he is still somebody, again, with all those conflicts, with all of those limitations and these types of things. He's somebody who we we still recognize as having characteristics of, say, a private investigator, you know, somebody who, what, operates according to his own personal code, somebody who's willing to break the rules, the, the, the rules of the law, um, somebody who is deeply, deeply morally ambiguous, all of these kinds of characteristics can you talk a little bit more about your, your shift? Um, and again, it's not, this is not, of course, your only time that you have not, you know, that you, you write a lot of characters who are not private, private investigators, but how do you see him fitting into that, that weird space between say the, the individual who's out there kind of playing the, the, the solitary, solitary person taking care of problems that nobody else can and his role as a policeman, um, yeah, sure. Well, first of all, um, I wanted to make sure that Nick never came off somehow as um, a white knight or a white savior for, you know, because I detest that kind of um, setup where, you know, Nick somehow saves the, you know, the minority community, you know, that, that's not so what I wanted to do about Nick is one of the things about private eye fiction that's great is he's the outsider. But in this book, he is both an insider and an outsider. That's right. Um, so by day or whenever his shift is, he's a detective. He's an NYPD detective who does what NYPD detectives do. He's it mostly works undercover. Uh, and the book opens, the prologue is, Nick is marching undercover in a Black Lives Matter parade, you know, march going to downtown Manhattan. And that's where the readers will meet Nick um, as an undercover detective doing his job, right? But in this other job that he has, I've come to think of Nick as a prince of the city who must operate in the shadows. So while he has the like mantle of a PI who's the outsider and who breaks the, the rules, um, 
he actually has the backing of the rich and powerful in the city to do that. Right. So that's the difference. The difference here is, although he is has the mantle, let's say, or wears the mask of a PI as the outsider, he's also a functioning detective. But when he is that, has to work as a prince of the city in the shadows, he has the backing of the rich and powerful, which is an interesting dichotomy because how do you make that character be a sympathetic character? Absolutely. Um, yeah, you know, it, it, you know, as you talk about the prince of the city, the dark prince of the city here, um, you know, it, 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 calls, it calls attention to kind of the tradition of, of the person who is institutionally connected but also is fighting crime again, not not as somebody who's connected directly to um, the role of policing. You know, it, it, there's a bit of the Batman, there's a bit of the Superman, there's a bit of of these kinds of figures. But one of the things that, that as you're pointing out and as you're indicating, you know, he's doing a lot of the the dirty work. You know, he's he's getting involved in some things that that are not just say you know fighting crime, but they're fighting crime sometimes through crime. They're fighting, you know, they're, they're, they're fighting some things that, that, you know, it, we don't necessarily immediately sympathize with, and yet he's a deeply sympathetic character. This leads me to a question, and, and it's a two-part question, really, um, and it has to do with characterization. And, and you know, you, you've written some amazing characters over the years, and Nick Ryan is, is one of my favorite, Nick Ryan. And, and, and one of the things that... in the mail, Mike. There, there you go. The, uh, yeah. Yeah, and so, so I guess, you know, the first question, and this is, of course, about Nick, but it's also about the other characters you've written, um, is, you know, what makes what makes the protagonist compelling? You've already talked about the, those weaknesses and those foibles, those those things we get interested in. You know, but if there, if there are features, a couple of features that that make Nick a particularly compelling figure to you or in general characters, you know, I'm interested in that. The other thing that we haven't talked about, um, you know, and, and to a certain degree, there's not time to go into a whole lot of depth, is your secondary characters. Many of many of those being being really fascinating and important and, and interesting and a lot of fun to read, uh, you know. And so I'm curious about that that secondary character as well. So any thoughts on characterization? Sure. Well, one of the things that the reader will find out is, you know, Nick has some element of Jack Reacher in him. Right. Yes. But and I love Jack Reacher and I love Lee and I love, you know, Andy. So it's not uh, this is not criticism, but they seem invulnerable. They almost, always, you know, Jack seems invulnerable. Uh, he's a so physically imposing and, he, you know, his he's has a great history. And, you know, so he and he's but he's totally self-motivated. Right. He's he's kind of like the high plains drifter to me. Uh, so he has that element, but he Nick is a cop. And what I do, to say, what I made Nick is, yes, he's all of these great things. He was a war hero. He was, you know, a really he's a really good undercover detective. He uh, is ultra competent. He's ultra calm, but as always is the case, it's his blind spots, his foibles, and his vulnerabilities that make him interesting. 
for instance, he uh, dated a woman since he was 16 years old who gave him the choice. It's either me or you're going to go to Afghanistan. And he chose Afghanistan, right? So there's this big hole in his life that that woman had filled uh, forever. And what she says to him is, well, you always did have a weakness for the lost, for the losers. And he says, mm -hmm, well, mm -hmm. not the losers, the lost. So it's who Nick cares about. It's it's that the, he has a hole in his life from this person who's not in his life anymore, though she now is again. Um, and, you know, yes, Nick is this de decorated cop and everything, but I made it a point that Nick's father, who's also a cop, is considered a rat by all the people in the police department because he voluntarily, without a subpoena, testified in front of a corruption commission. So, you know, as the rule goes, this a rat, the son of a rat is a rat. So it's not as if Nick is an admired figure in the, the police department. So, you know, um, I gave Nick trouble. You got to give your characters trouble, or as we say in Yiddish, Cirrus. You got to trouble is my middle name. There you go. Yeah. But you got to give them the kind of trouble that they don't necessarily have any control over. Right? They right. can control a lot of things, but they can't control how people think of them. Sure. And that's that's what I did with Nick. And the minor character, there's no, to me, you know this, Mike, I know we're running out of time, but here's the deal. To me, there's never been a thing called, there's never a minor character. When I write a character, right, even if they're on the page for a paragraph, they have full lives. And I, when I teach writing, I always use this example. On your way to class, um, did you pass by somebody walking their dog? Sure. Right? And of course, everybody's driven or walked by someone walking their dog. Well, that person with their dog, they're a minor character in your life. But guess what? You're a minor character in their, in life. their lives. Yeah, we've had we've had this conversation and, and I agree. It's you know, and, and so you know, what is it? It's sometimes you know, it's that particular detail. You know, there, there's something about the way that person walks that dog, you know, that that you know, even if nobody knows that it's an open window, yeah. it's a window into that life that we understand. I don't think you or I or any of the writers we love and respect uh, have characters that walk on stage and say, Hark, I hear the cannons roar. <laughs> That's a minor character. That's a minor character. Right? That's right. They don't have full lives. Right. Once they walk off stage or they're not on the page, they they don't exist. But my my, my secondary characters, which is a term I like, much better than minor characters um is more today they still exist to me like lenny feld is a character who's a big important character in this book right he he exists still to me absolutely yeah um, and th th those those are the characters who stick with us you know those are the they're not the scene stealers but they're the ones who belong in the scene and we we recognize that they're their complexities and their conflicts, you know, even, even if they don't shape the way that the major events are going to go, they're still there. Now we're almost out of time. I, I want to call attention just to, to two features. Um, and 
you know, to, just just because I think that they're they're important to do. And I'm not sure if you have just a word or two on them or not. But what, one of them is that again, this is this is set. You know, you mentioned Lee Child. You know, he's got the you know the well, we've got Jack who's wandering across the American, you know, the whole continent, right? Um, we've got thrillers, you know, that that are set sometimes in global environments. And this is this is a book that that has, as you suggested, this has a character who has something in common with with some of these these characters, and yet absolutely distinct. And and it's a, also a distinctly smaller, overall more urban, limited kind of a space. And I think that's that's really key to this book. So it's doing something that we've seen before. And then of course it's it's taking that plot. And and you know I'll just quickly comment that that you say. Uh, you know, the, one of the big hooks here, of course, is what what happens. Uh, I'm sorry. When you're in trouble, you call 911. When the cops are in trouble, they call Nick Ryan. A wonderful line. But in some ways, the, the the line that I love at least as much is this, which is, "What happens when a man who knows all the city's secrets becomes a threat to both sides of the law?" That's that's the heart of it, right? That's the heart. That's both the character and the the world he goes into. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I I think I wanted the you know I've never focused greatly on the covers of books, but if you look at the cover of the book and you don't have to show it again, because for the money I offered you, you you've already shown it enough. No, 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 I'm not. But, but you know, for me, setting and tone are secondary to character, um, and the if you look at the cover of the book. It is exactly the setting and the tone that I wanted set, um, because it is a dark cityscape. Now, not all of it takes place in Brooklyn or Manhattan. Some of it, in fact, takes place out in Suffolk County, where I live. Um, but I wanted, you know, that sense of people to get that New York is not one place. And, and even Brooklyn is in one place. Uh, New York City is a thousand places. You know, I've always said, look at what I write and look at what SJ's at Roseanne writes. And they're both set in New York. And, you, you know, never the twain shall meet. They're the, very the world's apart. World's right. apart. So if you look at all the New York, Larry Block, you know, you, you look at all the people who write about New York and to one aspect or another, they're like completely different worlds. So... Uh, the world that Nick lives in is kind of unique because on the one hand, sometimes he operates, as I say, in the grit beneath the fingernails of the city. And he's just as likely to be in a Sutton Place apartment. So that Nick, the, of course, the most fun about when the, first, the origin story is the world building. And right. I think I've set up a world for Nick where he can be high, low, east, west, north, south within the confines of the New York metropolitan area. So it does have some sense of the movement of a thriller, right? With the exotic locations, except exotic for Nick might be a, a housing project in Coney Island, right? right? Or the Suffolk County Jail. So it, it, it does have some of the sense of the movement of a thriller, but in a smaller, uh, geographical area. Yeah, well, it, it's a wonderful world that you build with a wonderful character and, and a really, really 
you know, vital story. I hope that everybody has a chance to visit it. You're going to be on the road, I know, in um, upcoming weeks. Um, wish you happy travels. And, and if you don't see Reed on the road, you can catch him on national what, commercials and, and everything else. Um, any comments on your um, on your tour and the rollout as we as we yeah. wrap things up? Well, you know, um, I'm. It's been three years. The pandemic afforded me certain opportunities, but it also kind of delayed the release. We it delayed the release of this book. So I am very excited to be back out on the road. Well, not as excited as my wife to get me back out on the road, but I'm very excited to get back out on the road because I love doing book signings. I mean, touring is a drag, you know, because it's a lot of flying and a lot of, you know, shoving food down your mouth and getting in Ubers and stuff. And it's a, it can be very lonely, but I love seeing people at bookstores. I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's a way to connect with people who are reading your book, you know, I, I know that I, I sold, you know, between the Jesse Stone series and my books, I've sold hundreds of thousands of books. But, you know, if you don't go up on the road, you know, out on the road, you yeah. never get to meet people. So, well, best travels to everybody. I hope we'll, we'll turn to your book soon. Thanks, Reed. And again, this was Authors on the Air with um, Reed Farrell Coleman. Thanks, Mike. Greatly appreciate it.